Welcome back, everybody. It's day five of the week that I uh, filled uh, Jim Richard's shoes. He's back Monday. I took advantage of this week. I took advantage of this microphone. I might have taken advantage of you because every day at one o'clock, I went unleashed, unbridled, unapologetic, and I went after what we need to do to course correct Canada. To make this, we've got everything going for us. We've got abundance of resources. We only have 36 million people to feed. We've got fresh water, a fifth of the world's fresh water. We have agricultural land. We share a border and a language with the world's biggest economy. We have moral values, education, universities. Our streets are safe. This should be the greatest country in the world. Every survey points that we are one of the great countries in the world, but we are, in a, uh, we are literally in a race to zero and we have no airbag. All we're doing is boring our way forward. We're not growing our way forward. We are not being accountable to ourselves to vote in politicians that treat our tax dollars as precious and feel ashamed when they have to borrow. We are in Ontario, a billion dollars a month of tax dollars and borrowed dollars just goes to paying interest on a debt in the lowest interest environment ever. So I did four days in a row on this. The first day I talked about our primetime prime time minister and are we spending $90 billion deficit over the next five years, which is what they're saying it's going to be, $28 billion this year. Is it to cover, put him on the cover of the Rolling Stones or is it to cover the needs of Canada? Canada, you know, we got an abundance of resources. We got fresh air. We got an educated population. We got universities. We got moral values. We got all these wonderful things going on, but we are running it into the ground. $90 billion deficit over the next four years for what? What are we getting for that? You know, what are we getting for that? Look at your kids in the eye and say, what are we doing to you? The biggest part of our population, the boomers, heading into retirement. This generation was the greatest generator of tax revenue. This, ge this generation was the entrepreneurs that, that increased our standard of living. They're heading into retirement. They're going to live longer. What's behind us is less people, and they're going to be inheriting all this debt. The second day, I said, you know, technology is going to be leveling the playing field. It's a global economy. The winners are going to be the ones that are survival, the fittest, the fast, fastest. The real tiebreaker is going to be talent. We need the best homegrown talent. And that's going to mean that the private sector, public sector, and education have got to come together. They've got to lose their self-interest. They've got to shed those things like a nasty reptile skin. And they've got to focus on what really matters. Are we putting people in a university, the right courses? Are they graduating with shining eyes? Is their knapsack full with emotional intelligence, intellectual intelligence? Is there jobs waiting for them when they go? And I also talked about our immigration strategy. And I said, you know what? We've got to go handpick the very best. If we're the number one brand, the most desirable country in the world, then let's go after the number one people. If Canada is this country that's the best place to live, every study I read, we're the best place to live, then I want an immigration strategy that leverages this brand. Because if I'm number one, I want to play that card like I'm number one. I want to be down in San Francisco. I want to be in Mumbai. I want to be in Shanghai. I want to be all over the world identifying the top talent, the people that have got hunger, people that have got capital access and contacts. And I say, I want you to come to Canada and join forces with our homegrown talent. 
I want you to join forces and grow our way forward, not bore our way forward. Day three, I talked about small business. I asked you to imagine your head put into a headlock, not just a little headlock, a squeezing headlock on your biceps, pressing into your ear and your temple. That's the federal government that suddenly over the summer, when everybody was quiet, decided to change the tax laws and go after what they think might be $250 million from privately held businesses. They're going to kill the spirit and the energy and the entrepreneurial spirit. Independent, unbiased studies, one after another, said this is ridiculous, this is crazy, we need the entrepreneurial class. And while we're squeezing on that side, that's what the forearm's doing. That's the Ontario government that says they can jump wages 30%. Like this is some big, rich, privately held businesses. You could just turn upside down and shake an unlimited amount of cash out. If we don't have entrepreneurs... If we don't have people generating taxes, increasing jobs, we can't hire everybody in government. It doesn't work that way. We've got to stand up for small business. This concept, this narrative that they're rich and we're going to take from the rich and give it to the poor. Small business is the backbone of our economy. They are struggling to make ends meet. 400,000 were located in Ontario, and we're also dealing, you're talking about that headlock? I got the bicep from the federal government, and now I got this forearm coming at me with Kathleen Wynne panhandling for the present to try to get back in office all on the backs of small business. Panhandling. This is what we're living with. We're pigs at a trough. And politicians are playing us. They're playing us with our tax dollars and our borrowed money. And we're all trying to fight our way in. So now we talk about Kathleen Wynne. We talk about, oh, there's an election year coming up. I'm going to give such increases to unions that even the union leader came out and said it must be an election year chuckling. And those union increases, everybody else is going to want the same increases. At a time when the business isn't growing, when profits aren't growing. And then she starts saying, oh, how about universal uh, income for everybody? Oh, your young kids, I want your vote. I'm going to give you maybe free education and pharmaceutical. What, what else can I give away? What, what else can I hand out? Oh, teachers. What, oh, what else can I over here? What can I give you? What I can give you? It's like this, we, this, this is stuff, this is feeding at the trough. And what's coming out is one big giant turd. And that's called the debt we're laying on. A billion dollars a month in this province. And I ask us to do one thing in Ontario. Why aren't we marching on Queen's Park? Why is there popularity polls increasing? This body of work, there's not an organization that, was, that would be accountable and profitable, would let these people in charge for 10 years, let alone probably 10 months. And now she's setting herself up to win another election because she knows she's a master politician and she knows that pigs love to feed at a trough and she knows how to fill those troughs Every one of us in Ontario, I know you want more money. I want more money. I want to pay people $25 an hour. And the way you do it is there's more demand for workers than there are people to fill those jobs. That's how your increase goes up. I want us to grow our way and increase our productivity and be the kind of company and the country that can afford the kind of lives that we want. This isn't about entitlement. We have to earn it. So when I come back after the break, I'm going to have a very public conversation with the private sector because they can't escape because there's some things that I don't like what they're doing and they have to stand up and say this country matters to me it's not just a place to sell my goods and services Canada matters and therefore I'm willing to step up like I'm asking the public service to step up and the academic sector welcome back everybody and I've had some people call out and say why don't you run for politics 
I'm too old, and my wife wouldn't, wouldn't allow for it. I, we need a young person. We need our, as I said yesterday, our Mandela, our Gandhi, our Obama. We need someone that's got strong business instincts. We got someone that's got strong social instincts. Somebody that's got a social conscience and says, if you follow and let us grow our way there, we can do even better with healthcare. We can do even better with education. But to get there, we have to come together. And speaking of coming together, I want to have a very public conversation with the private sector. You know, you need to stand up for Canada. This isn't a dumping ground to sell your products and services. Canada is a country to invest. Canada is a country for you to hire talent. It's a country for you to train that talent. It's a country for you to invest in research and development, to create, to develop, to export. And as listeners, you're going to say, well, how can I impact the private sector? Well, there's no democratic vote. You, can, you don't go in and vote for one brand over another. What you do, though, is have something that's even more important. You have a wallet. And that wallet creates such a stick. If you change your behavior and go from one brand to another, that means everything to the private sector. So what I want you to do as a listener, before I go back to the private sector, is I'm going to ask you to buy beyond your immediate gratification. I want you to start thinking more about where does that company come from? What does it stand for? Does it have a head office in Canada? Does it create original products here? Does it do original advertising here? Does it bring in young people and train and develop them? Is it being led by Canadians? Do those Canadians have an opportunity to travel nationally and internationally? Does it care enough about our economy or simply its bottom line? And as you're that consumer, I want you to think hard about things. For example, I know Amazon is faster, better, and cheaper. They are a genius company. They have nailed the three most powerful consumer benefits, faster, better, and cheaper. It's never been done before. McDonald's was faster, but they certainly wasn't better, but they were cheaper. Right? They put all three together. And now we have another new powerhouse that's joined forces, Google and Walmart. And they want to put vacuum cleaners into your wallet. They want to make it so easy with voice search and scanning that you don't even have to think about shopping anymore. It's just going to arrive at your door. And when it does, and when you order and arrives at your door, realize that every time you buy from a pick-and-pack warehouse in the States and has it shipped here, and if NAFTA, we fail and we're allowed even more, every time you do, you're hurting Canadian retailers. You're hurting any retailer that has taken the risk to rent a store in your neighborhood that has a window that needs to be merchandised by creative people, that's staffed by people, that takes in cash, that has deliveries, that has the energy of your main street. You have to realize that you're not only hurting that retailer, you could be hurting your property value because your property value is very much attached to your main street or the local shopping center because that is the hub. So you might say, I'm a Luddite. You're not stopping online shopping. I know I'm not. Faster, better, cheaper. I get it. But just remember, you can do your part with your wallet to make things happen for people that believe in Canada. Now, I want to go back to the private sector. When I hear of people coming out with press releases like McDonald's is going to race out 25,000 automated restaurants, Shoppers is moving to automated cashiers, I ask those companies, and it's not just Shoppers and McDonald's, the automation, I ask them and going, when you consume all your consumers, 
When you replace all your consumers by technology, who's going to buy your lipstick and burgers? I don't know of a robot that eats a Big Mac or wears lipstick. But you can make a stand again. Don't go to automated checkout lanes. Refuse to. Wait, to be, and if that store doesn't have enough cashiers, leave it and find somebody that will service you face-to-face. -face. Buy from people who take your order face-to-face. -face. The private sector will listen to you because your wallet is a stick. And that's what I want to talk to you about. 416-872-1010. Have I crossed the line asking you to change how you think, feel, and behave because it's not just the private sector? that I want to make a stand for Canada. It's not the academic. It's certainly not just our politicians, but boy, we've got to elect people that are accountable. It's also you. Are you willing also to do your part to say to the private sector, the more you automate? And I'm going to, we're going to talk about some ideas I have where we can make Canada one of the hotbed economies that private sectors are going to say, this is where I want to build my future. 416-872-1010. Are you, what do you think about this? Is this, is this, inevitable that we're just heading down this path where stores are going to disappear, there'll be a handful of private sector organizations, the government's going to continue the way they want, or is it possible? Is it possible that we can use this as a pivot moment to come together and to say, you know what, the last 10, 15, or 20 years, we've, we've, we've put a big crack in the axle, but it's still possible to repair it, to move this thing forward so that the candidate you had the candidate I have is something the candidate the generations behind can have. 416-872-1010. I'm getting a lot of texts. Pick up the phone. It's a lot easier for me to have conversations with it, with you on it. But, you know, people also say, what are you doing this for, Tony? Well, listen, I have no political aspirations. I have no consulting aspirations. I'm not looking for consulting work. I would not take a phone call from any party because this is nonpartisan. I have no book I'm trying to sell. I make my life as a speaker, and this is probably hurting more way hurting me way more than helping my business but i want to do my part for what we need to do as a country we have to get our heads out of the sand we can't just think 90 billion dollars deficit is a number we just can't think the fact that telling landlords they can't increase rents because it makes me so sexy for the voters and not realize that means nobody else will come in and build rental units that this short-term little nugget they're putting in our trough is going to turn into such a bad smell in a housing crisis down the road. Robert, what's your thoughts? Robert? Yes, hi. My, my comment is I'd love to do that, but how many companies that you've just outlined actually exist here in Canada? Well, I'll tell you something that happened in uh, Singapore. Singapore decided, by the way, they have 5 million people, and they decided uh, that they were going to be part of the future of the world, and they decided to create a biosphere, which was a, a, a hub where people that were interested in biology would come together. And they have attracted some of the world's top universities and companies, and they're becoming a leader in biology, and they're producing a lot of high-paid jobs. People are going to school for the sciences because there's no, there's a job afterwards. They had the vision. Netherlands wanted to repel the rising ocean waters because of their dike technology. They have a vision. So what I'm saying is, yeah, there might not be a lot right now, but what's to stop? When we come back, we're going to continue on this, and we're going to talk about ways in which Canada can put a, a line in the sand and say, hey, everybody, let's work on this together. I'm Tony Chapman. I'm in for Jim Richards on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about that have we become a country of everybody's feeling entitled, politicians playing, 
to our desire to get more from me. And I'm wondering if it's time to take back Canada and give back. And I'm talking to you now as individuals because you actually carry much more than the ability to, to, to vote once every four years, five years. You have the ability to vote with your wallet. And people are coming back at me and, you know, going, what are you, a Luddite, horse and buggies? We couldn't stop this. We couldn't stop that. And why would you risk your reputation uh, as somebody that speaks about the future telling people to try to hold back the past? Well, I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why. And please stay with me on the phone because I'm going to get to you in very seconds. But just a couple of reasons why. Technology is replacing jobs now at a point that it was un we wouldn't even imagine 10 years ago. You know, in the past, technology enabled us to get off the farms, to become an industrial age, to improve our standard of living. Technology enabled us. Now, technology's displacing us. There's going to be, there's 4 million truck drivers at risk when they come out with self-driving trucks. There's 10 million cashiers at risk in North America when everybody goes to automated cashiers. And somebody wrote in and says, well, I don't like the people there because they're miserable and rude. So would you be miserable and rude if you spent your day standing and pushing product through a conveyor belt? But you know what? That's their job. And at the end of the day, they cash a paycheck. They're not on welfare. They go home. That money is used to keep food on their plate. So suck it up if they're uh, snarly a little bit at you and they're kind of ruining your day. And if you think just because it's so easy to sprint through automated checkouts, do so. But remember one day when that Main Street disappears and retail disappears and your Amazon package is coming to your door and you can't wait to open it up and you wonder then who's going to be around also to buy what I have to sell. I think as a society, we're at a time, we're at a point in our history where technology is moving so quickly that the only way we can slow it down if we choose to is by voting potentially with our wallet. But before we go back onto that subject, I want to talk to Sean because he says every country's in debt. You're just you're exaggerating and being dramatic about it. Sean, what's your point? Hello? Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm okay. I've heard you do this cry before. Now, Ontario economy is not bad. And yes, we have a high debt. And we're not the only one. It's gotten to the point now where every country around the world are in such high debt that we will never repay this debt back. And I, eventually I predict there will be an economic collapse and we will hit the reset button. But as far as the automation taking over jobs, that's progress and that will never stop. For example, I used to do IT. And when I started in IT, I used to do some work manually. And then, you know, I was sitting on my desk and I said, wait a minute, I know coding. I can automate all of this stuff. I can write computer programs and automate this stuff. And I did because I wanted to. It's just a matter of that's the way human beings are. We're innovative and we're constantly going to come up with new things and we're going to invent things. And there's no way to stop it. So, Sean, Sean, great, great. I, and I need your help right now because we, uh, we've invited a lot of people to come over as immigrants to Canada, not all of them highly educated. A the, one of the first places they worked, I found, was parking lots. They got to learn their language. They got to learn our, our numbers and stuff. Now, we've automated all the parking lots. I want to use your creative mind. What are those people going to do now? And while you're at it, can you solve me the 3 million cashiers and the 4 million truck drivers? And while you're at it, all the people that used to take your orders at McDonald's, can you, with your, can they all, 
code? Because artificial intelligence is going to do most of the coding. Or, and, and so tell me what are they going to do? What are those people going to do in your magic wands? And by the way, in debt, what would you do with a billion dollars a month of interest we're paying in Ontario now? I guess our hospitals don't need that money. Healthcare doesn't need that money with the retiring generation. What have we got for that $300 billion? To just say every company is in debt, I think is irresponsible. Um, the debt has gotten out of hand. We're not the only country. The U.S. is the king of debt, $20 trillion. It will never be able to repay it. It will keep going up. A lot of countries, we eventually, there will be an economic collapse, and the world will have to come together and forgive all this debt and start all over again. Now, as with guarantee, you're asking me all these people are going to be out of jobs with automation. Yes, that will happen. And I'm telling you the idea of a guaranteed income will become more and more of a reality as time goes by around the world because... There is not enough jobs for, 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 for human beings. Our population is, is growing. In probably in about 15 years, 20 years, we're probably going to be at 10 billion, 11 billion people. There won't be enough jobs for everybody, and that's the reality of things. Sean, I appreciate your call, and he's, you know, he's, he's saying something that's very dear to me. I think jobs are going to become as precious as fresh water and farmland in this next 10 years. And the, the concept of universal income, which a lot of people are talking about, I guess if we're allowed to just print paper, they tried that a couple of times, and, and very quickly in a lot of economies, it just completely printed paper. You suddenly need a wheelbarrow to buy a loaf of bread, but maybe the smart people can figure it out. I prefer to get a little bit more serious about where we spend our money. I don't like it when we spend $2 billion on gas plants just to win some votes. I don't like it when we spend a billion dollars on Presto uh, just to invent something that already exists. I don't like the fact that we've got streetcar tracks and all the inefficiencies and how dangerous it is for bike lanes just because because uh, that's the way we've always done stuff. But you know what? People are going to think that you can't stop when progress is happening. Lubo, what's your point? My point is slightly different. There are two topics you have in here. One is debt, and one is uh, effect of technology on society. Uh, I don't see them connected in this discussion, and, and I, I agree with you on a debt. There are things, but what is more dear to me is the technology and knowledge technology and uh, successful nations. Uh, I think it will all boil down to people. And if you look at, I had a privilege of three of my sons graduating from PhD degrees. And I went to three of these graduations and they were all kids of every nation of the world in there definitely very high percentage of first immigrant uh, kids. So get to your that, point because we got to keep moving. That is the gold. That is where you will save this nation and we will save this nation and we are doing it the best in the world. The actually all the smart countries are reducing in population rapidly. All smart countries around the world. We are the only one which is increasing and which have picked up this highest commodity, which is humanity. And that is going to save us because we will continue this spirit of wanting to know, wanting to deliver, make the community better, will stay preciously Canadian. Appreciate it, Lubo. I, can... I appreciate the call. we got to keep moving. I like your spirit. 
I do believe there's an awful lot to say about the Canadian spirit, what we're capable of accomplishing. Somebody said, you know, you can't turn around a country, it's too late. You look at in India, they streamlined bureaucracy, boosted infrastructure, reforms in the power sector, they got flexible inflation to deal with the monetary policy, they got rid of the bureaucracy, and that country, that big, that size, with nowhere near the resources we have, are succeeding. So don't tell me it can't be done. Welcome back. We're finishing up our series of Taking Back Canada. Went after our primetime minister. We talked about the need for productivity driven through talent, both immigration and homegrown. We talked about saving small business. We went after, does Kathleen Wynne have nine lives because the way she's panhandling for votes? And right now we're talking about what we can do to hold private sector accountable so that they invest in Canada. And I'm going to finish this segment in a few minutes, and I'm going to tell you a couple of ideas that we could do as a country to ensure that we have purposeful jobs, meaningful jobs. We're not, no longer talking about minimum wage increases. We're talking about having our economy rocket. That's how I'm going to finish the segment. But first, I want to hear more from you. Tasha? Hi. How are you? So, I'm well. How are you? Good. Thanks for listening. No worries. Thank you for speaking such profound truths. I think the biggest problem with Canada is that a lot of people aren't paying attention to what's going on. And when no one's paying attention, the politicians can get away with anything. I'm a millennial, but I'm also a mother. And when I hear Trudeau or Wynne talking about subsidies for childcare or whatever kind of subsidy they're talking about, and you see these working-class parents celebrating it, but it's called desperate spending. That financial burden will be shouldered by their children. That is nothing to celebrate. And you're, and a, you're a millennial, you live in Ontario? I'm a millennial that lives in Ontario. And how old's your child? Pardon me? How old's your, how old's your child? You said your mother? 10, I started young. So, uh, <laughs> you know, good for you. But the interesting thing, and I wonder for the millennials out there in Ontario, when Kathleen Wynne saves us $23 billion in hydro today, and one of the top uh, unbiased, unpartisan boards say that's going to cost your 10-year-old $93 billion dollars, in the future to pay for our hydro today, why the mothers didn't take to the streets. You would protect your child no matter what. You would never oh. let your child come into harm's way. That's one of the things that mothers and fathers are, do. They, they would take a bullet for their child, but for some reason, as a society, we seem to think it's acceptable to get a 25% reduction in our hydro to save $23 billion, knowing that our children are going to have to pay $100 billion by the time our saving comes due. So uh, I, I appreciate you phoning. I think the that people are quite selfish and they don't think about the long-term ramifications, the ramifications for Canada as a whole. So we can bring it down to something as small as raising minimum wa uh, wage to $15 per hour. People will celebrate that, but what they don't realize is these McDonald's employees who are championing $15 that's going to put them out of a job because they're going to bring in a key that's going to relieve them of 32 hours of labor from a human. Yeah, I agree. And the ones who get to keep their job, they'll probably end up getting less hours. So in all, they'll end up making less money. People don't understand that the problem is inflation. And then when you're government talking about we have a 3% inflation target, I don't understand why people aren't incensed about the government wanting you to lose 3% of your purchasing power every single year. Well, I appreciate it. You know, the fact that we've devalued our currency so much, we've lost a lot more than that, that this whole inflation thing. Thank you for your call. I really appreciate it. George, you want to weigh in on this? Yeah, you know what? Uh, I agree with that last caller 100%. You know what? A lot of people, they're just, uh, they just go cap in hand to the government. They keep asking for services. We're in debt. You know, 
they want the government to pay for everything. Every little thing, they want to get bailed out. Listen, I, I'm sick of paying for everything. You, you mentioned something about buying locally. I do whenever I can. Well, my bottom line, I live paycheck to paycheck. I got two kids to feed. I'm the only income in my home. And if if the only way I'm going to be able to, to give my kids what they need to get through life is to buy something uh, made in China or by, uh, through Amazon, that's what I have to do. I'm, know, not, I, I'm I, not faulting I you at all. I think you are, first of all, a hero. you got two kids, paycheck to paycheck. You're putting their needs first. I am never going to challenge a parent putting their children's needs first. I just wish we were in a better shape as a country so that you wouldn't be living paycheck to paycheck, so you wouldn't be having to make these, con these decisions that create guilt within you, and it would become much easier for you to say, and I'm making that stand for Canada. I appreciate your call. You know, I want to talk to you a little bit about a couple of things. Simple ideas. Wouldn't it be interesting if we had a Made in Canada gauge on everything we bought in Canada, where people had to say how much of what we're about to buy was made in Canada, not just manufactured, not just the raw materials. We had a, some way of talking about the head office, the creativity. There was a way that with this, today's technology and big computers, we could say that's 32% made here, that's 72%. I wonder if that would change the way we purchased. The second thing I would, I'm interested in, you know, somebody wrote in and said, well, Google closed their head office because of the hydro rates. Well, we're going to whine all we want about hydro, but here's a simple thing. Why aren't we getting Tesla up here or one of the solar panel companies to invest in Canada? Because if we could figure out uh, solar paneling in the northern hemisphere, north of the 49th, we can keep those manufacturing plants here. And I'm sorry they're going to go off the grid, which I know uh, our hydro utilities fight, but I want them to find the best rates in electricity, and I want to become stars in how we produce that, and I want this country to be exportable. Cannabis. I'm not a fan of cannabis. I spoke at a cannabis conference because I don't think we're ready. Again, it's our primetime minister trying to be, yeah, we're not ready to set this up. All we're doing is saying kids can now wander around the streets with 30 grams uh, and basically, we're just, the organized crime has been in this business. It's a $60 billion industry. But if we're going to get in this business, don't say, well, I don't know quite how we're going to sell it. You better come out and say, private sector, you're allowed to do branding and marketing, positioning and retail. Not only will it create great jobs, but when the Americans legalize marijuana, I want this to be a massive export industry for Canada. And the final thing I want to talk about is a petri dish for the world. You know, Canada is one of the most complex and competitive marketplaces. It also has every culture. It has got wide geography. It is very complex to do business here. So why aren't the countries around the world coming to Canada to test their new ideas? Why isn't Uber being launched in Canada? Why is it the next Facebook being created in Canada? Because if it works in Canada, it can work anywhere in the world. But if it fails in Canada, it doesn't cost as much because it, it, the, the cost of launching and testing in Canada would be much less than trying to do a, a national launch in the United States. So we could become a petri dish. We've got to find a way like Singapore did with their biosphere. We've got to find a way that we signal to the Canadians locally grown and locally sown. We've got to realize that agriculture is going to be one of the most important industries going forward. Somebody talked about a 12 billion planet. Where are you going to want to buy your groceries? In a toxic country that still burns a ton of coal or in Canadian farmlands? Why aren't we creating a brand for the world that when it's uh, grown in Canada and sown in Canada, people will pay a premium for it and find a way to ship that stuff around the world? This doesn't have to be a failure. This can be a success. 36 million people, 
all these resources, sharing a language and border, the world's greatest economy, educated, great moral compass, desirable place to live, leverage our brand, focus on growing our way forward, not boring our way forward. Thanks for listening this week, uh, how we, all of us, can take back Canada. Appreciate your calls on it.